Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Gridiron Bliss Podcast, your weekly source for women's American football, insights, game recaps, and NFL News Weekly. Subscribe on Apple and iHeart. Is the fastest growing daily fantasy sports site in America. You get fun, easy to play contests with cash prizes featuring your favorite players. Monkey Night Fight, daily fantasy sports for the rest of us. Sign up now and get an instant match on your first deposit up to $50. Welcome, guys, to the Great Iron Blitz, powered by Monkey Night Fight. Check it out. Go to Monkey Night Fight right now. NBA, NHL, NFL for the Super Bowl weekend. So uh, if you're tired of playing against Sharks and impossible odds, more or less, Unmonkey Night Fight is the most popular game, and it puts you right in the action, removing headaches of having to draft an entire lineup with players you don't know anything about or worrying about salary cap restrictions. So pick a game with the players you want and simply select more or less for each proposed stat line. That's awesome. Check it out. $5 free play. Use the code NGF and go to Monkey Night Fight to get started today. All right, we got the Hall of Famer in the house, Holly. Uh, we got uh, a lot of things to talk about, including the uh, NFL Conference Championships, uh, the preview of the Super Bowl, uh, Tom Brady retiring, and uh, Brian Flores right here in the last couple hours suing the NFL. So uh, <laughs> you can't be more excited, I guess, talking NFL right now. I know there's a lot going on, um, especially towards uh, the back end of the season. Usually at this point, it's just all, uh, you know, Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl. But there's a lot going on this uh, the last couple of days here. And you know, Brian Flores, we all we all talked about it when uh, he was let go, but uh, there's a lot more to the story right now, and him suing the NFL. It's kind of big in a, in a lot of ways, not just because, you know, if you want to consider it a racist thing, but at the same time, it's a hiring practice thing, right? So it's like you even go into an HR mode, which the NFL at this point you would think would be streamlined with all franchises, but it doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah, you know, essentially when they fired Flores, I, I was very surprised because um, – he got put in the position with Miami that was, was kind of tricky. Um, did pretty well for a moment there. Uh, they had a difficult start to the season. But I don't think a lot of national people or uh, casual fans understand that the Dolphins won, I think it was like the last 10 out of 12 games. Like they were really on the tear. Um, everything was going the right way. Uh, they were finally getting something out of Tua and finally getting him in a place where he was getting more confidence, which is, I think, uh, his injuries paired with his, uh, you know, dip in confidence has really hurt him. So he was kind of turning the corner a little bit. And I saw some of my friends that were Dolphin fans starting to get a little excited of, like, maybe we don't get there this year, but maybe maybe we'll turn the corner, you know. And so – when you win 10 out of your last 12 games, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen anybody do that and get fired. Like it just really was confusing to me. And so I remember thinking at that moment, okay, something has had to have happened in the front office that you don't, in a league that's such, you know, a business orientated 
and production-orientated league, you don't get fired when you win 10 out of 12. That doesn't happen. So I was thinking, okay, well, in my opinion, <clears throat> the, the GM with the Dolphins was on thinner ice than Flores um, with how they put some of the pieces together. And so maybe the GM went to the owner and kind of threw Flores under the bus, or maybe there was some sort of alignment, and that's why they got rid of Flores. That's what I was thinking at the point. I was really confused, but I was like, that's the only thing that makes sense. Now, in the last few hours, we know a lot more. And so essentially I was right, but I didn't know it was this complicated. Um, you know, so for those that don't know, Flores um, went in to court in New York and filed uh, a complaint against the NFL, the Dolphins, the Broncos, and the Giants. Um, essentially the Dolphins because um, there's a few items with the Dolphins. The first one is he alleges that in 2019, the year before they got Tua, and, you know, publicly we had this media thing where the Dolphin fans were making the memes and the jokes about we're going to take for Tua. So apparently, according to Flores, uh, there was a couple things that happened that offseason. The first thing is that he alleges that there was a conversation on the boat where they were trying to talk to Tom Brady, and he wasn't comfortable with that because of his previous relationship with Brady and the Patriots and how close he is with Belichick. He didn't feel like it was – is kind of a conflict of interest. So according to the complaint, he left that conversation. Then later he was told allegedly by the owner, hey, if you lose, you know, we want you, you know, if you lose a certain amount of games, each game you lose will be 100000 essentially putting money on the line in order to tank to get to us, so to speak. And so, you know, these are all allegedly, quote, unquote, but if that is true, that in itself is a huge, huge, huge deal, right? So that I'm sure we'll I'm hope I'm hoping we'll have some investigation there. Then you have what I'm assuming is a split in the front office between him, the GM, and the owner, which makes more sense now if there was all this stuff happening. Um, because in my opinion, he's a great defensive coach. He seems to be a good leader in that his players gravitate towards him. They play well and hard for him, um, you know, so I think he's a good coach. So for them to get rid of him in that moment, now we kind of, if this is true, now we know the, the background in that. Then you have the, the you have, um, go ahead. Holly, you have a, a, the situation where Dolphins-wise, I mean, if you're if you're the owner and you're literally asking your coach to just literally give up on the season, if you're a Dolphins fan right now, you are just probably the owner is asking you to go ahead and just tank the season. That's just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And here's the thing. As fans or anybody like in the media, we're, you know, on the outside looking in. So for us, it's kind of like a, a mild joke that you can be like, oh, my team, the season's gone. Maybe we'll get a higher draft pick. You know, and as fans, you've all kind of felt that when you've had bad years, right? You don't actually want to lose, though, not like that, right? You just want right. to get in position to be better the following year. So, and then on top of it, players, they're never going to go out there and intentionally lose a game because their individual paychecks are on the line. You know, if you 
yeah, very few players are, are out of the, the realm of being replaced, right? Most players, even mild stars, they can be replaced. If, and then if you're a guy that's like on the bubble and you're like fighting every year to get a spot, you're never going to stop trying to win because even if you're not with that team the next year, showing that you can play on film is going to show somebody else maybe you're valuable and they'll pick you up, right? So the players are not going to do that. And so if this allegation is true, if you're a Dolphin fan, you have to be kind of sick to your stomach because I think Dolphin fans were hoping for Tua, but not like that. You know what I mean? That's kind of, if that's true, that's completely shameful, you know. And if that is true also, then that is goes back to the GM and the owner. If they were doing that for real and that's a real thing, then that's a problem, right? So. There's there's that side. Then you have the side that now he's he's off. Uh, he got fired from the Dolphins. Now he's out in this uh, you know in this hiring cycle, and he's interviewing. And so apparently, what happened is he he was scheduled to interview with the Giants, um, and before he even got to the interview, he got a text from Belichick, and Belichick is a guy that believes in Brian Flores. Like, I really think that Belichick sees a lot in him. So apparently Belichick, according to the text and the story, uh, was excited because he got uh, word that the Giants were going to hire Brian, quote-unquote. Belichick, I think as his friend, got excited and just assumed they were talking about Brian Flores. They didn't, he didn't know that it was the wrong Brian, that they were going to uh, – Hire Brian, I think it's double instead. And so the problem with it, I mean, obviously poor Belichick made a huge mistake, and I think all of us on the planet have made mistakes like that, texting or assuming the wrong thing, right? But it's the timing of the text because he got it before he interviewed, which means the Giants had already made the decision to hire the other Brian before even interviewing Brian Flores, which means they're only interviewing him. No, <laughs> no. So, so you got that. Then you got the Broncos, and so Laura said uh, that he also interviewed with the Broncos. But according to the story, the Broncos were late to interview him, and Flores seems to think that they were hungover or something was off. Um, so I don't really know, <laughs> you know. And here's the thing: this is a complaint, right? So we don't know. Um, until, like, there's more investigation. But he, I think, you know, from a big-picture perspective, we have to all sit back and realize NFL's been around a long time, right? And they're kind of an interesting microcosm for, like, the state of America on a lot of these things, right? I feel like the Mm -hmm. NFL, because you've had these owners – um, you know, for a long time be of a certain persuasion, it's just really far behind, right? And so the NFL has been playing catch-up probably the last 15 years-ish on stuff that they should have been doing earlier. So they're playing catch-up, and you do see, like, splashes of things that you're like, okay, that's a good idea. Do that. Do more of that, right? And then you still have this old guard that's there, which is why you see the issues with, like, Gruden and 
the emails from the Washington football team that I don't know if we'll ever see the light of day. I hope they will, but who knows? That's a whole other topic. But you basically have this push and pull happening in the NFL between the old guard that wants to do it the, the same way that they've been doing it and the new people coming in or the people that are a little bit more uh, open to different ideas that are kind of pushing against that. So I think this Brian Flores situation is completely right in the middle of that. And I think you have to you have to respect him for doing that because Brian is a coach that he's not a He's not a guy that's a fringe coach. This is a guy that on the right team can win a Super Bowl. He's that good, right? So for him to be in this situation and to say, I know that this is going to be a storm. I know I'm putting my neck out, but I feel like, you know, and he had a a really awesome quote that uh, I want to pull up real quick. Um, so I quote it correctly. I had it up. I had it up. Here we go. He said, quote, God has gifted me with special talent to coach the game of football, but the need for change is bigger than my personal goals. And I just think that says it all right there. I mean, you know, well, because, granted, this will all play Ollie, itself out. He doesn't have ahead. anything to lose at this point because no. literally he's somewhat discriminated, number one. Number two, right. the Rooney Rule practice that we talked about, it's 20 years old and it's literally outdated. Yes. So it has to be more specific to our criteria, right? And it's not. It's literally but, just yes. you get invited to an interview and whether you hire that person or not, that's not a big deal. We just we did our job. We invited three people. They, they got their names in it. And whether we hire A, B, and C, it doesn't matter. We, we, we did our part, right? So that's literally what it breaks down to in terms of an right. HR level from the Giants, the Broncos, and, and all these other teams. So, I mean, I right. applaud him for addressing the fact that there is no criteria, really, you know, because you're wasting somebody's time when they have no shot. Right. It's literally the bottom line. Exactly. So for him, it's like you might as well just told him, hey, we're not interested in you and good to go. That's literally what he's saying. But you didn't. You said, come on over and right. we'll, we'll give you a shot, which never happened. So I, in some ways, right. I think the NFL really has to address the, the human resource side of things in terms of their uh, hiring practices, because now it's a bigger issue. And maybe it was a, an issue with, you know, the lower uh, hiring practices. In other words, you know, general people that work with, with the team. But when you're talking about a coach or a general manager in that, in that capacity, that becomes a big problem. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's basically like you're right with the renewable, right? Like we all know that it's had, uh, it's very a very polarizing issue. But here's the here's the bottom line: is is what he's saying even if half of what he's saying is true, then basically what he's saying is people aren't respecting that rule, right? So if cool. people aren't respecting the rule, then basically what's happening is you might as well not have it, right? And so coaching, I think a lot of people, um, some people might understand this, but some people might not. Coaching historically is a network, and it's a, it's, it's a really hard club to get into. Once you're in that club, there's basically this unwritten rule that you take care of the people that you work with, right? And so what happens is, is if you don't open yourself up to having other people with diverse backgrounds uh, at an earlier stage or even at a later stage, if you're not willing to do that, you're surrounding yourself with people that look and think like you. And then there's, there's this, it's kind of a, 
Oh, kind of like a political thing, like in, in, in but not to get political, zone. but it's that thing where you zone. scratch. Yeah, it's that thing where it's like if if you scratch yeah. my back, I'll scratch your mentality. Sure. And that's the problem. It, it's not an actual, like it's not. It wouldn't be conducive to an actual corporate hiring situation, right? Right. Like right. you can't. You gotta. You gotta open it up. And um, I really feel. Like the best analogy that I have found for some of this stuff is like, look, like for a long time, there's been people, these people have been fishing in this little pool, right? And that pool mm-hmm. of people looks and thinks mm-hmm. like them, but they there's an entire ocean <laughs> that's been there the entire time that they're missing, right? So if you really want to win, and that's really the bottom line with the NFL, if you want to win and be successful, why would you not look at the entire ocean to find the best people to win. And so some people get that. And you do see really good things in the NFL. I think Bruce Arians has done a really good job. I think the Niners have actually done a really good job. You know, you see bits and pieces of, like, hope. But there's still this old guard that I think is hanging tight. And and it's going to be interesting to see because uh, this might just end up in, like, a settlement situation. But what does the NFL do going forward? Because – as we know, it's a brand, and their PR has taken hits, you know, over the last couple of decades, especially. And so, what do they? How do they react to this, and what do they do going forward? Yeah, to your point, I mean, we'll see what happens out of this. But that's usually the case. You know, they usually, they usually would like to sweep it under the rug, and that's usually how they try to work around things like that. Because of, like you said, that. There's changes. Uh, changes are hard in the NFL because it's kind of like a long tenured type of league. So nobody wants to make any tweaks or changes of any sort, especially if you're being successful for so long. So we'll see what the Brian Flores lawsuit outcome will be. But uh, that was basically the big story that kind of overshadowed Tom Brady's retirement in a way today. So uh, we'll see how that happens. But uh, let's go ahead and uh, into the monkey knife fight huddle and, Let's bring in uh, the talented X-League superstar of the L.A. Black Storm, and that would be Lindsey Cash in the house. Lindsey, how's it going? Hey, what up? Thanks for having me. How are you tonight? What up, Lindsey? Just talking this NFL stuff and all this stuff that just came out in the last couple hours. But uh, surprised that Tom Brady retired on his own term with this, you know, two days later after everybody claiming that he retired. I know. I wonder if he, like, felt forced to, like, make the decision and, like, had that not happened, like, what if he would have contemplated, like, otherwise or something, you know? He probably got so many, like, heartfelt messages that he was like, crap, I can't, like, go back on all this. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I, it was just, it, it was crazy to, to think that, uh, you know, everybody got it right. And I don't know if that was the case, but he ended up, ended, ended up retiring at this point. So if you're on Twitter, you could follow the Bucks. They have the video right there, or at Tom Brady, you get the the heartfelt uh, send off statement from oh, Tom Brady. Did he like he like made one? I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, it's on it's at Tom Brady. If you go on Twitter, and you'll see it right there. He pretty much wrote a couple a couple page uh, what, a page two pages probably, but uh, you know he, he deserves it. Uh, obviously, he's had a great career. Uh, there's nothing else to to do. I mean, um, for him, I mean, it's just he's pretty much completed everything. Um, all right, Lindsay, we have you on. Uh, we thought we we, we were going to have you back on, obviously, for the playoffs, and here we are, divisional round. Uh, Holly's with us, and Holly's feeling the pain. I'm a happy guy, obviously, because the Rams <laughs> won, you know, and other than that. But uh, 
What did you think of the uh, the game? You know, Rams Niners, pretty intense for two quarters, and then in the fourth quarter, it, everything kind of changes and un- unravels for San Francisco. And then that last play by Jimmy, just I don't even know what he's thinking there. He just should have held on to the ball and just taken the sack. Yes, my jaw was dropped. But first off, hey Holly, how are you doing? <laughs> good. Um, how are you? I'm doing good. Thank you. Thank you. I like that quote you read earlier too. Um, that Brian Flores had kind of made. Um, but anyways, yeah, I uh, I will say that, like, I was watching the game and I thought there was some hope. I figured we were going OT, you know, the way it looked. It was, like, what, third and 13. And so I was like, okay, like, we're going to go OT. Saw that happen. And then Aaron Donald's just a savage. She's just good and so excellent at what he does. And it's a beautiful thing to watch, especially from, like, an athlete perspective and a football perspective. But, um, yeah, he just put that pressure on real thick. And sometimes you just don't know why a quarterback does what they do. And, yeah, he threw that up. And I saw it got tipped, and I was like, oh, okay, like, we're good. And then, like, any good DB, you know, like, always be ready for that trash. And the DB came in, scooped it up, and my jaw was dropped for about a cool four minutes just staring at the TV screen because I wanted the Rams to win. I felt like the Rams to win, but, like, being a Raiders fan and being from the Bay, you know, like, I also wanted the Niners to go. I know they're, like, still on their quest for six and all that. So I did, I was telling my fiancé, like, I didn't think that I was, like, that going for the Niners that much until that play. And I, like, felt the heartbreak for him. And especially more so, like, we all saw it, like, Debo Samuels. You know what I mean? Like, he really cared yeah, the team I all for season. Debo for sure. Yeah. He had one of those. Who was on the field last year? Was it Diggs for the Bills when he had come yep. to watch? Yeah, you know, so I, I've definitely been there before, like, you know, with my team. And we made it to the championship in the LFL against the Seattle Mist. And uh, when that fourth quarter expired and they won, like, that's a tough pill to swallow because there's literally nothing more you can do at that point. You've, like, you know, wrapped it up. So I definitely can relate to those gentlemen. And all it does is, you know, light a fire in you, you know, if you if you really love what you do and you're going to come back. And thankfully, Debo's still, like, young in in his NFL career. So hopefully Trey Lance. What did you think of the quarter, uh, you know, scenario there? Because uh, at fourth quarter, before the third, I was like, we got to score, right, or respond here, or otherwise we're done. But then when you get into that game where uh, – Stafford and Cup get going, and then towards the end there, uh, I mean, Jimmy, I mean, I don't know what happened to him there. I mean, he he, he literally, I, like I said, he could have taken a sack, honestly, to, you know, but he didn't. Well, here's the story with Jimmy. Um, he's a nice guy, <laughs> and I've met him, and his hair is really nice in person, and he is a really nice guy. But he's he's not he's not terrible. He's just that he's like that little brother that you have that you really like and you want him to do well and he just can't get it together. <laughs> and so he's good for, you know, because I've watched him his entire career with the Niners, and he's good for at least one overthrow per game where it should have been a touchdown, at least one play where you're like, what are you doing? And then usually an interception, right? And so – the problem, you know, and on top of it, he, he was definitely injured, and I'm sure that didn't help. But really sure. it just came down to the fact that the Rams stopped the run game, right? Besides Devo, we weren't able to run the ball like normal because the Rams loaded the box, which meant 
we had to either get more creative or it came back down the chimney. And usually in that situation, it's just not a good recipe. He does not handle pressure well. And so if you count the last two possessions, that was seven negative plays in that it was either incomplete, a delay a game, almost another delay a game, and almost an interception, a terrible throw, then a punt, <laughs> then another. <laughs> it, it, his footwork just went crazy. It looked like Eli Manning for a minute. And I just, like, I had this feeling it was the second to last possession that, like, with about five, six minutes left that we had the ball, and it was just an ugly series. And then my heart just sank because I was like, oh, no. Because you know that the Rams have firepower. You know that they're starting to get warm. And we, our secondary, our, our corners are really pretty vulnerable, and that, that's been a problem. And so I just knew in that, that second last to last possession, that was the one. If we had just at least gotten one first down, maybe two, the game might have been over, right? So that was it. You know, I like Timmy a lot as a person, and I want him to do well. I think he's just too inconsistent, and it's a roller coaster. Um, so, you know, uh, uh, good luck to the Rams. You know, like uh, like you were saying, I, I feel like Debo is just a throwback guy. And he's played yep. so hard, and it really made me sad to see him sad. Um, but I know that, you know what, he's going to get paid this offseason, so hopefully that helps him. But, you know, it kind of is what it is. I'm out of my feelings now, Oscar, so I'll root for the Rams now. <laughs> I was I was in the same boat you were because I was like, when we, when we were 17-7, I was like, man, this is not going to be well for us. You know what I mean? Because. Debo was playing so well, and he was getting yards and after the catch, and they were using him in multiple sets. And I was like, man. And then when Gabe missed the field goal, there's a lot of things going off. And then that one uh, inter- that one throw that did, that um, I think Tart didn't get, that scared the hell out of me. I was like, uh, oh, my God, it's intercepted right there. That would have changed everything around. You know? but, yeah. yeah. So I was like, okay, there's the moment. There's the opportunity, right? He drops it. I'm like, what a what a relief. But um, – Lindsay, you're you're right there. Um, I think I caught I caught your IG. You were asking all your uh, your teammates about who was going for what, right? And uh, I think you were <laughs> yeah. giving giving somebody some help because they were going for the Rams. And I'm like, what is it going? With Lindsay, what? She's in LA. I know. It was just it was the way she was the diner, <laughs> and without even a thought, you know. <laughs> I was just like, check it out on IG on her stories. You'll you'll be enlightened by what I'm talking about. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I'm going to keep it going. I'm going to get some Super Bowl predictions out of them this weekend at practice. So we'll see. I feel like it's just going to go for the Rams again. So maybe I should, like, find everybody who's from out, not in L.A. that's on our team. Like, who grew up you're outside of here. That you're, that you're in for, okay. All right. All right. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Lindsay, are you into Joe B? Like Cincinnati Bengal fans are right now? Are you in love with Joe oh, B? Here? Uh, uh, I think so I, honestly, I, I'm kind of like Josh Allen a little better. I don't know if that's just because he's been around like just a tad before Joe Burrow, but I'm not. Um, I'm not one of those people who ever like is like, oh, I don't like this person because like I can see the potential in everybody. I mean, but this guy is like pretty phenomenal, especially for what he's been able to do, you know. And it's kind of similar to like, you know, people like Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray and a few others do. Like, you know, you come in the league and 
you could do something real quick. A lot of these, like, rookies seem to kind of make it happen. So it'll be interesting to just, like, watch his career develop. But, um, I mean, I remember, like, because it was right before quarantine, so we are all just kind of stuck online. I mean, LSU winning that national championship. We all saw the Joe Burrow mm-hmm. video, you know, smoking yeah. the cigar coming out. And, like, you know, it kind of already got in our brains. You know, we were like, okay, like, this guy might be something. And so just to kind of see him come dripped out to the game, you know, with that type of confidence, like, you know, you usually don't do that unless you know you're really here to wreck business. And, um, you know, we've only had two years to look at him. So, so far, I like what he brings to the table. I, uh, I'm i always going to pick my Raiders over the Bengals. So. <laughs> In the Raiders, that, yeah, I mean, the Raiders are rebuilding. So that's all I got to say about that. They are trying to rebuild right now. They're trying to get yeah, it together here. Patriots do. Yeah. Well, I mean, McDaniel's. I don't give. I, I don't want you to like have a letdown, or I, I, I'm not being negative. But McDaniel's is not the same without Belichick. So that's just a, the experiment, you know. Can he yeah. round number two? Can he really make it happen? So that's the only doubting question on it. I mean, he's a good <laughs> offensive coordinator ahead, type, but as a head coach, we'll, we'll wait and see. Has McDaniel's coached anyone else like has he ever been a head coach Denver I think it was Denver that's what Broncos. it was okay yeah Denver yeah. it's like you know I haven't really paid attention to the Patriots too much since like Tom left and then mm-hmm. um I know he's been there for a while but he just has such a familiar face I was like where have I seen this before but now it makes sense because the Raiders play the Broncos all the time yeah um, Polly um, yeah I kind of feel, what did you think of feel, what did you think of Mahomes losing not, not. I mean, like Mahomes just not getting to the next round. Everybody just thought he was. It was a low, you know, lock in. Um, it, it it's kind of like this. Like throughout this season, teams have adjusted how they defend the Chiefs, and so the the thought is the Chiefs are so explosive that if you try to play kind of downhill on them and double um, or bracket as much as you can on Hill and Kelsey, and you try to make them nickel and dime down the field more, that they get impatient and make mistakes. And that was kind of their problem early in the season. And then they kind of got into the mid part of the season, and they started to trust themselves more and be more patient. But in this game, they got impatient again. And I think you could see at the end – it wasn't a terrible game by them, but they were making mistakes. And Mahomes was trying to run around like a crazy person. And, like, sometimes that really worked for him. But in this case, it, it kind of backfired. They got in good position late. But he was running around like we were, like he was on the playground. And I was like, oh, no. Like, I know this works for you a lot. But, like, sometimes you just, like, kind of like the Jimmy G thing, sometimes you just got to – uh, throw it away and, and live to play the next down sort of thing. And there was a couple of times that I think he, he was just trying too much. Um, they definitely uh, need to work on getting more balance. And I know that they know that, but I think they went away from that running game. I think they could have ran uh, on the Bengals more, and they, but they kind of left that running game behind in the second half. So uh, it kind of is what it is. Um you know, I like Mahomes, uh, a quarterback, and not the biggest uh, fan of his family. <laughs> so we don't have to see the Instagram post with his brother for a minute. Uh, so I'm okay with that. But I do like Andy <laughs> Reid a lot. So it may be sad for him. Lindsay, what did you think I of like the the, uh, the, can- the Chiefs 
uh, outcome there. Everybody thought they were, you know, you were picking Chiefs, right? Right before this game, you're like, okay, the Bengals don't have a prayer. It's Mahomes, Tyree Kill, right? <laughs> Kelsey, yeah. they should they should take care of business. Wow. That's a no-brainer. Uh, but, yeah, I, I picked the Chiefs. I thought, all right, here's a team, here's this guy who's been here before, knows what it's done. Am I going to pick someone who's been here a few times or the guy that's brand new, you know? I was like, all right. But this is why I am just only do picks online, and I don't like to bet and probably won't bet in Vegas because, like, a game can literally go any way, as we've just witnessed, because, you know, mm-hmm. the Chiefs were the ones to win it. They had everything, a 21-3 to lead over them, you know what I mean? Like, and, you know, to what Holly was saying, yeah, I just kind of felt like Mahomes just got, like, super – Anthony at the end, and I was watching him, and I was trying to, like, read his reads as he was, like, you know, dropping back. So I would, like, look to see where all the receivers were and stuff. And I think it just – he was, like, I don't know if he was too afraid to run it or, like, it's just too late at that point. But, yes, I kind of wish he would have just made a few other decisions. But I'm not mad at the fact that the Bengals are in there. I was just as shocked as everyone else, in all honesty. But to watch the bank, uh, the Burrow and Jamar Chase, like, connection – is really tight, and um, it'll really be interesting to see. I know, like, some teams already do it where they draft, like, you know, that quarterback-receiver chemistry out of college. I think more teams might start leaning towards doing that, like, a lot more consistently because it kind of proves in big moments, right? They just have that natural chemistry. They've been there before in other situations, and, you know, when it counts, they showed up. And uh, like um, (laughs) Holly said, I seen on Facebook there was one of those little, like, memes, and it was one of those marked safe, and it was, like, marked safe from Patrick Mahomes' brother and his wife, Brittany, or whatever her name is. (laughs) It's it's, uh, a fanfare. uh, Kansas City, I think, disappointed more than anything. If you're a fan of Kansas City, you thought it was going to be a shoe-in after you beat the Bills. That felt like, okay, the right thing, right? We're moving on. We're going to go back. And everybody was wishing for Kansas City Rams at this point. Uh, most everybody online was like, okay, if the, if, the, if the Niners beat the Rams, then we get a, a, a Super Bowl recall of Cincinnati, you know, versus That's San true. Francisco back in the 80s. So there was a lot, a lot of, you know, what ifs and what could be done. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, everybody wanted something different at that point. I was sweating it out because, it was like we got all this talent on offense, and you're telling me we could not move to the next round. It was just like I was getting frustrated, you know. It's like either yeah. commit to something, but uh, that that Hill, was my Kelsey, thing. At the, at, yeah, exactly. Gotta do something. And Mahomes, like you know, he could he could scramble. You just I don't know. Like those O linemen must have just been like, all right, every time they like watched film and they were like, all right, every time Mahomes scrambles, like this is what he does because they were just like mm-hmm. on it. One, I think once they realized there was a glimmer of hope for their team, like the Bengals O line like turned it on. But that might be a whole other story when you're facing Aaron Donald, Vaughn Miller, and Leonard Floyd coming up. So I think that'll be the true test, and I think that'll like. It'll be cool to see, like, Burrow go against a team like that, right? Because then I think that will, like, tell a lot of people, you know, like, because it's like, oh, you're either on the Burrow bandwagon or not. That's, like, the new thing now. But, um, you know, I hope they don't go get blown out. <laughs> well, Holly, you think we're boycotting the tickets for Cincinnati fans to come over, just like we did the Niners Are they fans? doing that again? No. no. Uh, <laughs> that was terrible. You know what? You know, we did lose the game, but we, we did – turn that stadium pretty red and um for those out there that don't know the rams got really upset that in week 17 
the Niner fans brought a lot of fans to the game in L.A., and so the Rams were concerned that was going to happen again, and they tried to make Ticketmaster. They actually did make Ticketmaster for two hours at least, not allow anyone to purchase tickets to the playoff game that lived outside the L.A. area. And then the Niner fans were like, I saw all the groups, and they were like, okay, so you have a cousin that lives in L.A., right? So we're all going to order for this guy. you got to get the prepaid card, and then they won't know. So everyone was going to figure it out anyway, and Dang. they finally put down the – the uh, restriction, and then I think it actually made Niner fans so mad that more people came, and I saw, like, it was just red all over. Of course, there's Rams fans, you know, but there was a lot of red. At the stadium, it was like 70-30. That's all I got to tell you. It was like Lily, 70% Frisco fans and like 30 Rams fans. Yeah, I saw some article about somebody said that they went into a, a bar that's supposed to be like a Rams bar, and it was full of Niner fans, and they booed out the Rams fans out of their own bar. And oh, I was wow. like, wow. Yeah, and I really think this boils down, and maybe, Oscar, you can speak to it more. But it's the L.A. fan base is a really hard fan base to crack into, and the Chargers have it even worse. I feel terrible. For them. Nobody goes <laughs> to the Charger games. Yeah, it was a Raiders so game sad. when I went. <laughs> yeah. I think since you're our maybe you're a Raiders club, fan too, like our booster club is like 30k, if at that, 25k of real dollars. I feel like you know I mean we don't have 100k in Southern California. Wondered if they should have moved the the Raiders to back to LA if that would have been a better initial oh, draw. Sure. Honestly, sure. yes. I think the Rams should have went to Vegas. Yes, it's it's just very no, interesting, you know, because. Hey, when when the when they went to St. Louis, the whole thing flipped over. When they went to St. Louis, mm-hmm. some fans were like, "Hey, they left us. They packed out, and a lot of people did convert. They, you know, they went to uh, they became Niner fans or Raider fans. I know a lot of friends right. who did that. They're like, "Hey, we're done. We're done with that. We're we're good. We're just gonna be Raider or a Niner fan." So there is a strong fan base in in SoCal that is Niners and uh, Raider fans. Yeah, that overshadows right. Uh, Rams and Charger fans completely. Right. Well, maybe maybe one you know you know you guys know LA likes winners, so maybe if the Rams win, maybe that'll help a little bit. <laughs> I think so. I, I think we'll probably that. definitely start I to see that. like you don't think so. You don't think you'll see like a little more? No, I, I wonder because it's like, I really do. I feel like all all year um, on like the news stations and the local sports shows here. They all promote and push and talk about the Chargers and interview the Chargers players like way more than the Rams. So I'll be interested to see if they focus on the Rams next year now that they're like kind of more of the number one team over the Chargers, or if they'll still continue to push the Chargers. There's a lot of hatred for Stan Kroenke, and so there's that in a lot of ways. Oh, is that the, Even that's like the Rams the um, owner? Owner or the yeah, guy that did the so stadium, stadium owner? Okay. Yeah. So there's a lot of that, and then. Uh, Nobody likes the Charger owner. There's another a lot of that. The Spanos. So it's yeah. kind of hard, you know. It's kind of hard to get behind a fan base where you hate the owner, both owners. Oh, oh <laughs> you, you don't got to tell me I'm a Raiders fan. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Al right? Davis, Mark Davis. <laughs> it's just, I yeah, feel like seriously. ever since I was a kid, I just remember adults just complaining about Al Davis drafting dang fast people and not this or that. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah, stuff. no, it's, it's, it's hard to, like, it's hard to 
in L.A., it's really hard because it's Dodger-Laker first. I mean, it's literally mm-hmm. that fan base. Dodger-Laker yeah. first. It kind of overshadows. I mean, the Rams would have to be successful for, what, every other season to make it to a deep in the playoffs or even close to a Super Bowl for them to start to garner any type of traction. I mean, they would have to be that way. Where I think San Francisco fans are, San Francisco fans are pretty much dialed in and diehard. I mean, you got San, San, from San Jose all the way to Sacramento and, and the Bay Area. They're, I mean, they're, they're loyal. You know what I mean? They've been through the, yeah. the rough times and everything else. So, and then the Raider fans, Raider fans never give up. I mean, the, the, the Raiders could go <laughs> to like Scandinavia, and they still follow them. You know what I mean? Yes, it's just the branding of it and the loyalty. They'll <laughs> go all the way to London. Go to Mexico for those games. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just saying they have a great following, not just in, in their fan base, but worldwide. I mean, it's it's kind of like a mystique type of following, right? That it it attracts you. You know the yeah, the, the mystique of it. Yeah, I mean everybody likes a good guy and a bad guy, and I feel like the Raiders yeah. have just kind of been painted as this image of like the villain of the NFL yeah. for some reason. <laughs> You know, and that's probably because most of the owners didn't like our owner back when, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, and that's, like, alluring to people, right? It's like a good guy, bad guy, Spider-Man, Venom. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's what I'm saying. Fan base, L.A. fan base for Rams fan base, it's not big. I mean, I'm part of the, the two booster clubs, and the booster clubs probably yield maybe 20K at the most in terms of membership. And I'm, we're talking about diehard, you know, fans, fanatics. But, um, you know. It's not going to fill SoFi Stadium, which is what, you know, 80K? Not going to happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? In terms of diehards, it's, all, it's always going to be a, a lopsided uh, visitors taking over the, the facility type mentality. I mean, the last game that I went to was in Anaheim Stadium, and it was against the Raiders, and I felt like the – I felt out of place because it was all silver oh, wow. and black, like yep. 80-20, silver and black. <laughs> it was not cool. <laughs> Not cool. I will say I felt like it was because, like, no. <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> it was but bad. I will say I think it's because like you know they took the Raiders so far away from us. Um, sure, it's I guess it's like a mutual distance in a way, but the ticket prices are insane at Allegiant Stadium versus SoFi. Oh yeah, and it's over- like that ratio. So yeah, you know I bet you like it's probably going to be that way because this is like the most. I don't know about if the Rams win, you know, and the Chargers or whatever. But, yeah, it's, like, the most viable option. And a lot of extended family down here. Mm-hmm. For all those Yeah, no, it's, fans. it's different. I think the fan base is different. Uh, but, you know, diehard, like I said, when the Rams left, you, you still had other people jump on to, like, a, to be a Niner fan or a, or a Raider fan. So that, that still exists. And then everybody in San Diego just gave the Chargers the bird. So the, the Chargers are literally – don't even have a fan base, to be honest with you. It's just it's no, an NFL so team. Sad. You know what <laughs> I mean? True. It's, like, it's more of a college type of environment. And wow. even, even as a, the soccer team, no, it, the soccer it, team, it's kind of like uh, draws more um, than the Chargers would ever draw. <laughs> it's it's kind of like when you watch the Chargers on on TV, they have to prepare for like now that seventeen games, like seventeen away games. They have to do final accounts and stuff, and it's just so sad because, like, that's a team that's, you know, retreading in the right direction, and it it would just be so sad to to go into your home stadium and there's more of the opposing fan base, and it's not just, like, one, you know, game, you know. It's, like, every single game. That would be kind of sad. 
It is sad. Uh, but I think it's because of the owner uh, shaft at San Diego and a lot of fans just converted yeah. to something else and just took another ownership. All right. Um, let's talk predictions. So, Holly, I'll, get you, I'll let you uh, give us your take. Uh, Rams, Cincinnati, uh, on paper you would think easy win for the Rams, but look what happened to the Chiefs, so not yeah. so easy. Yeah, you know, this is going to be an interesting matchup. I think um, I think that you – it really kind of depends on how well the combination of Akers and Sony Michelle do in this game because I feel like the Rams, uh, the last game against the Niners, did a really good job compared to the previous six times that the Niners had won in a row of running the ball. If they can run the ball and control the clock – I think they won't have a problem with the Bengals. If they try to get a little too fancy and throw the ball a thousand times, uh, you're gonna that, that Bengals defense, their secondary is pretty good, and I think that's going to be a really interesting matchup. And I really feel like uh, that Burrow and Chase matchup um, or connection is really good, right? So I think this is going to be a closer game than people think. I'm still going to pick the Rams, but I'm going to say it's going to be something like. I don't know, like 30 to uh, 28, something like that, within a somewhere between three and seven point win around there. Uh, I think it'll go down to the wire. I think that the Bengals are in the situation where they're way ahead of schedule. And that's kind of what I was feeling like with the Niners if we had won. There was no way I would have predicted that we would have been in a um, NFC championship game uh, after a few weeks in, we we were we were just reeling, and so the Bengals, they're playing with house money, right? So they have really nothing to lose, and the Rams have a lot of pressure because they went all in, you know, as they have said repeatedly, and they don't have any first round draft picks for a couple of years, and their time is now. So it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, the fact that I really think the Rams are going to have a lot of pressure. They're playing at home. That's going to be more pressure. And the Bengals have nothing to lose. And I think Burrow plays better in that situation where he's kind of like a gunslinger kind of guy. And I think, you know, he likes that. Uh, he likes being the underdog. So I think it's going to be close, but I think the Rams will edge it out late. Lindsay, uh, to uh, Holly's point, Burrow, this is not big moments for him. He's, he was in the spotlight in the national championships. This is just another mm-hmm. national championship, if you really think about it. Like, that's the way I, I looked at him when, when he's going up against the, uh, the Chiefs. It was literally, he didn't get, you know, literally timid or anything like that. This is it. It's another big game. Got to get to it. So, to Holly's point, yeah, the Bengals somewhat dangerous, I guess. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I would say, like, Bengals were probably more worried about the Chiefs than they were facing the Rams. Um, Mm -hmm. Just like as far as like putting numbers up on the board and competing with that. Of course, your defense has to do what it does. But um, I feel like just the way all these games have gone the second half of the season, I'm putting my money on that it comes down to a field goal. So we're going to see, you know, if, you know, McPherson, you know, what is McPherson or McPherson? Yeah, McPherson. Money Mac is what he calls himself now, um, the mm-hmm. one that keeps the game-winning field goal for the Bengals. I think he's ready for the pressure and to deliver if he has to, and this game might come down to just being decided by something as simple as that. And what I'm kind of going off of for the Rams is that last image of Aaron Donald just 
eating Jimmy Garoppolo up and then just him looking up at the cameras and pointing to his finger, like, he's going all in. And, like, Von Miller, he's a beast, like, a different kind of beast, too. You know, like, he's got Miles Garrett energy. So it's like, I feel like he's going to turn that on because it's a lot of these gentlemen's, like, last kind of chance, you know, and I feel like they'll kind of put a whole different level to it. But I'm looking forward to seeing a good ball game either way, right, because we just saw Joe Burrow come back confidently, calm, cool, and collected, 21-3, to 18-point deficit, win, field goal guy comes in, money Mac kicks it, wins it, right? So they're not going to be feeling the pressure entirely because they just went through it, right? So it's not like as nerve-wracking as it probably was this last week to deliver, to get to the show. I just think it's interesting, like you said, on paper, like they're both the number four teams in their division, like in their whole AFC, NFC. So, you know, they got the number one draft pick quarterbacks, both at different times. And uh, that Rams have that D-line that is just crazy. I've heard a lot of analysts say like, oh, they think like Jalen Ramsey's like the only threat out there as far as like their secondary. Um but, you know, I'm sure the other guys will definitely step up. But I think it's just going to come down to that consistency. But Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford have, like, pro, like proven to us time and time, game and game again. And I think it's just going to be, like, I would love to just see a beautiful show between them two and Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow. And it's just one of those great games where everybody goes back and forth. Um, what was it? I have a little stat written down because I was so impressed. Joe Burrow, oh, in this last game, you know, he uh, only took one sack and avoided seven. And I think that's going to be real key here because obviously Aaron Donald's going to be delivering the heat play after play. So evading those rushers and then running the ball too as well, not being afraid to get those extra yards. The quarterbacks are going to be like real big into this too as well. So I'm going to pick the Rams just because I just feel like they're at a different level of hungry. Um, Oh wait. Okay. I was going to ask you, Oscar, I forget. So, Technically, the Bengals are going to be the home team for this game, even though it's in SoFi. So I always forget, like, who calls the heads or tails? Is it the away team? Not that it, like, that entirely matters. Team. Yeah, That's away team. So the Rams, the Rams are going to have the opportunity at the beginning of the game to call the toss. So if they win the toss and they get that ball the second half, you know, that could also be a determining factor in, like, the swing of this game, even though, you know, so I just thought that was like a weird little fact that I had kind of learned. So, you know, since we were talking about coin tosses earlier this season. <laughs> no, it's – and so, Holly, yeah. OBJ adding to the mix here, this is a pivotal moment for him. Beyond a, a Ooh, squad yeah. like this, opportunity for a Super Bowl, right? I mean, just in the right place at the right time now this year. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't think he's going in there to want to lose the Super Bowl, right? I think he's going to be no. pretty much up, up where – yeah, you know what's interesting is uh, I went down to the first Niners-Rams matchup halfway through the season, <clears throat> um, you know, at Levi Stadium, and that was his first game with uh, the Rams. I think he had been on the team for like a day, maybe two. And so I saw that um, first interception that Stafford threw because he was trying to throw to him, and I was I remember before the game, I was telling my wife, I'm like, look, because originally they were like, oh, he's just going to return kicks. And I said, okay, you know, that's fine because you just need to go, we go left, we go middle, we go right. You can figure it out quickly. But I'm like, I I hope that they just throw him in there. And they did. And obviously that didn't work because he he stopped his route, ran one way and Stafford threw the other, and it was a pick. And that kind of 
started the the onslaught for us for that game. But when I watched him in his last game, you know, he seems to have gelled into that offense now. And I think he now kind of knows his spot, his role. And I think Stafford now kind of trusts him to be where he needs to be. And so I think he's going to be a factor because everyone's going to be looking at Cup, and, and rightly so. Um, Oscar, did did we find out uh, if Hickby's okay? Is uh, not Because okay I thought right now, uh, but it's a game time decision from what I gather so far. Okay. So I'm assuming okay, two weeks he, from today he could be fine. If he's not able to go, then then Odell's role is even larger because his Hickby is kind of that safety blanket um, for Stafford a lot. And so if he's not able to go and you have everyone paying attention to Cup, then you're going to see Odell get more of the workload, I think. Uh, and, yeah, I think he's he's gelled with that team. I really appreciated him uh, going over the Debo and, and talking to him. I thought that was really classy. Yeah, that was awesome. And so I think, <clears throat> I think you know, he's probably really hungry considering all the stuff that he went through with the Giants and the Browns. Mm-hmm. Like, he hasn't been on – on the team like the Rams before, and so I think he's gonna he's gonna show out. Lindsay, right there. I mean, he's had all that turmoil, you know, all the pressure from media. He's actually a, a new dad, supposed to be a, a you know, a, a, a new, so he's you know he's got a lot of things to play for now. He seems comfortable. It looks like the the fact that Von Miller recruited him here makes him feel even more comfortable, right? So the, that relationship there. Mm-hmm. So if it really makes it feel like he belongs there and he wants to be there. And and what do you say of Stafford, Lindsay? I mean, all those years in Detroit, you get the shot here. This is your only shot. He's in that same boat, too. It's like this is the moment you wanted for so long. Yeah, like in a way, both for both of them, like you just said, it's it's been a long time coming. And I think they've been like solo players that like, you know, when you play fantasy or this or that, you know, people are like secretly rooting for it. and. What I hate that the media does to players and OBJ went through it is just like when they just throw an attitude or a stigma or like a type of energy on you. And then that's just how they perceive you and take every little thing out of, you know, character. And they really don't understand like the struggles of what like these players go through, you know what I mean? Like on football teams and dealing with decisions that aren't theirs, but you know, maybe they feel it differently and, so it's just been cool to see OBJ come over here. He seems a lot happier. He seems a lot, like, calmer in the sense of, like, his body language, right? And he's just kind of out there just to go to work. Like, he's over all this, like, you know, dog and pony show that the media does them, and he just wants to get that ring and then just continue to, like, work after that. And I know he used to always come to L.A., like, in the off season, and this is where he would do, like, a lot of his training and stuff out here. So I've always felt like he's, like, happier out here, you know? He probably has, like, more people, more energy, like – so he was probably like, and to come to the Rams, like at the time he came to the Rams, like who says no to that? Like, come on, that's like Brady inviting you over there. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited for him. Stafford, 0-3 with the Lions with those few clutch little moments that they had to shine. And so it's probably nice. Like I remember in the beginning of the season, um, McVay was talking about, like, I think Stafford and him ran into each other on vacation in Cancun. And then they were just like chopping it up one night and then, you know, a little bit later, they ended up kind of making it happen. So, you know, I think that's kind of a weird, not like a weird, but like a, a beautiful random moment that kind of created this perfect storm that is the Rams, right? And 
Aaron Donald's been there kind of holding it down on the defense. So now it's just really cool to see them kind of shine and step up. It's their second Super Bowl in four years. So it's like, you know, if you really think about it, like they got to deliver right here. They, they're ready for it. They deserve it. It's lined up. You just got to get the job done. Uh, but, you know, I love an underdog. My L.A. Temptations have been an underdog back when and uh, can't count out Joe Burrow, but I'm looking forward to just seeing OBJ and Stafford kind of connect a little more, maybe so, than like Cooper Cup and him, you know, just see that toe drag swag that OBJ is so good at. I think it's going to be a pressure um, in a lot of ways on both teams, but I think more and so like to Holly's point, this is the Rams moment. Um, and Holly uh, McVay, big pressure for him. He just beat, you know, Shanahan after being slapped six in a row. Uh, not the type of uh, record he's had in the Super Bowl, right? Because he hasn't won one yet in that sense, especially the last time he got outplayed. So uh, I, I think every all eyes are on him in terms of what he's going to come up with a scheme and a game plan. Yeah, you, you know, it's, you know, McVay um, and Shanahan are always going to be compared. You know, they were on the same staff with Washington. They're about the same age, you know-ish, and um, I think that beating the Niners is really big for McVay um, because it's not just that the Niners won six in a row. It was it was becoming a thing, you know, where it was the, a topic that was getting larger than each game that was being played, if that makes sense. And so I think McVay tends to overthink things sometimes, and I think this game against the Niners was probably his best job I've seen him do at not doing that, at just playing to his strengths and playing, um, you know, kind of in a way that he's not overthinking himself. I think the first time he ha- uh, he was in the Super Bowl against the Patriots, <clears throat> I think I saw that Belichick also confirmed that he felt like McVay overthought it. And so – you know, if you're a Rams fan, seeing that you get the McVay that was in the game against the Niners and you stay true to who you are, you say you're all in, you got all this talent uh, all over the field, basically on every level. And so just trust that talent. You know, on paper, your talent and your depth is better than the, than Cincinnati. Cincinnati has some talent, but you have more depth of that talent. So if you're a Rams fan, you got to hope McVay doesn't try to get too cute, that he just kind of plays within himself, so to speak. And I think if he does that, you'll be fine. If McVay gets a little too cute and he kind of gets a little panicky and he does weird things, um, then then that kind of opens the door for Cincinnati, I think. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Lindsay, agree the same way with uh, McVay's type of, you know, uh, coaching ability here? I mean, I, I – I think it's a pressure on him. He, like to Holly's point, he's got to show up just like he like he did against the Niners because Cincinnati does have weapons. Yeah, I mean, he's the OC, so just I remember a few of the plays in the last game. He was kind of like, oh, called said my bad on a few of those. Like he had not known, and obviously the play dissolved. So it's like he already kind of made like a few little mistakes. So I feel like he might have like learned from that, hopefully. And thankfully, like they got to see a beautiful thing with watching like watching film on the Bengals versus Chiefs is they know that if he can now look and be like, okay, like if I'm in a position where we have to come back, like 
he saw how they can. So they're going to know how to be able to like counter that and then also just be able to kind of deliver on their end. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree. I can't speak too much of it. Um, you know, I kind of like focus on the players more individually and how they kind of play and consistently and just like the different defenses and coverages and stuff coming into play more so. But um, I think he trusts Stafford and vice versa. So maybe Stafford won't be like so afraid. Like, I don't know how their like relationship is as far as like, cause you know, like Tom Brady, they talk about like he goes on the field and like sometimes like he'll just call it or they trust him. He'll be like, let's do this. So who knows? We'll see how they communicate and deliver. All right. Uh, so Lindsay, uh, we got actually 2022 coming up here in like 60 days, right? It's almost close by almost. Um, 17 weeks. So yeah, cause it's 18 weeks this weekend. Yeah. So almost 60 days. Uh, and then we get to see uh, X-League debut, right? The um, rebrand of X-League coming out. Jeez. And then the LA Black Storm in, Ant- in Ontario, right? Jola, Ontario? Uh, actually, we will have a different um, arena. So we're starting the season. The X-League starting the season in June instead of April, like we oh, usually June? do. Oh, June? No, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, so we're June way off. 100... <laughs> hey, no worry. That's why you got me here on the phone. I'm here to fill everyone in, yeah. keep you guys posted, give you the inside scoop. And, um, again, we just appreciate the support. But, yeah, X-League has lined up. June 4th is going to be the official first game of the inaugural X-League season. And it's going to start off with us versus the Austin Sound. And it's going to be out here in L.A., but it's not going to be at the Toyota Arena in Ontario like it was prior. So I believe the league in March is announcing more details about that February 22nd, the full schedule comes out. Okay. So we look forward season. to the, the schedule in the middle of February or late February. Yeah. For all the venues and, and the ticket info as well. I'm hoping, I don't know if they're just releasing dates and matchups. Um, okay. A lot of the arenas are the same for some of the other teams. It's okay. just, I've been such a like break and like, of like, you know, because of the COVID and everything that, I've noticed that the Toyota arena has looked like really been like rebooking everything that was like put off, you know? So they're like super busy now because also they're in a County that's a little better to kind of operate within. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, they said the arena is going to be a little just like as good, even better. So that's exciting. And then just to have it closer to LA, you know, that way we don't have to drive as far. We appreciate everybody who has, and, you know, everybody in that area that's going to continue to come out here. So it'll just be cool. I, it'd be fun to go back to the L.A. Coliseum, I think, you know, just like True. with maybe a little, like, different lighting production. Yeah, that would be awesome. Um, so Austin, uh, L.A., we're looking forward to that first week uh, in, uh, in the summer of 2022 with a yeah. debut. See your girl out here, Lindsay Cash, breaking some heads and popping you already know that. on the field, right? Um, what does the <laughs> roster look like right now? Before we let you go, what do you think of the roster? Are you confident? A better roster? Oh, with than... us? Yeah, with you. Oh, yeah. Um, we are so excited. Like, tryouts went so well, especially compared to, like, the last two years. You know what I mean? And, you know, the football sisters and I, like, and a few others on the team, we just kept it pushing, kept doing what we do, you know, stay training, stay, like, getting with the whole team. Um, you know, our coaches kind of kept the practices going. So we just kept pushing that online. That way just people know we were still out here working and working towards that goal for whenever the season, you know, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And um, we had a great turnout at tryouts this year. 
and we're still in the process. Last weekend was week one, and so next weekend will be week two. They're still filling out some of the rookie candidates and to see if they'll make the team. Then if they make the team, you know, we have mini camp, and then you go for, like, official roster. Um, so I think official roster is 20, but we're looking to carry 30, and we have about that right now. And then we do have a couple girls from Mexico that have been training with us and are – um, just waiting until we kind of really get the ball rolling, and then they'll be coming over here to join us too as well. And they are some chanchitas, and they are beasts, and we're excited to have them. And a lot of the rookie candidates that came out have great potential. Um, there's good depth for the quarterback role because um, we have Marissa Lopez as our QB1. And then we already had another quarterback, Cindy, who was kind of working in. Um, and so we have, like, about three more that can kind of play around with um, some great line. And then uh, we have a teammate named Pook who um, joined us in 2021 and she's started playing 11 since our season didn't go through. And she's just turned into an animal on the line too. So roster's looking pretty good. I appreciate you asking. Yeah, no, we want to just get it, kind of stay dialed on it. So anybody wants to stay in the know for X league, uh, make, make sure you follow our girl here at Lindsay cash, everything at, at IG as well. And, uh, and once in a while, really cool TikToks, too. So you can follow her on TikTok and on IG all season long as well as the off season. And uh, she's got it going on under her stories. That's what I check out almost every day. So, Lindsay, appreciate you coming in. Appreciate it uh, giving us the lowdown on X-League and then your insights on the NFL Conference Finals and the uh, prediction for the Super Bowl. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I always appreciate the support, and I truly enjoy talking with you. And it's fun to have Holly on today, too. So nice talking with you, Holly. I'll have to get your socials and stuff, too, so I can follow and stay tapped in. And hopefully we can reconnect either, like, right before our first game or right after or whatever works for you. But yeah, we'll I schedule appreciate it. it. Schedule it. I know you're busy, busy, but we'll figure it out. I mean, I'll direct message you right before that, and we'll kind of set it up. But uh, – Thanks again for coming in. Really appreciate it. Um, and kind of excited to see what the L.A. Black Storm is going to do in the uh, debut of X-League 2022. So, Thank you. If you want to come out to a practice, let me know. Let me know. I'll send you our secret location, have you come check it out, meet some of the other players, and, uh, yeah, you can kind of get an inside scoop for yourself. Perfect. I really appreciate that. Have a great uh, weekend. Looking forward to uh, this relaxed weekend, and then we got the <laughs> – the Super Bowl weekend coming up, so it's going to be kind of crazy everywhere. So, I know, definitely. Thank you. You all have a great weekend, too. God bless you all. And, Thank uh, you. you. Know, I'm sure we'll talk online after the Super Bowl. <laughs> have a good night, guys. Thanks, Bye. Lindsay. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye. All right, Holly, there you go. Lindsay Cash um, going to get ready for the X-League 2022 season in the summer here in June. So uh, thought I'd bring her in here. Uh, great follower. She loves NFL football and uh, what, you know, cool insights there back and forth with all of us. So uh, good predictions there. So uh, let's hope that they all turn out what we talked about. But uh, we'll be talking Super Bowl for the next, what, next Tuesday as well as we right before the Super Bowl. So kind of excited for that too. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, this is a great time of year. You got a whole bunch of stuff happening like we, we talked about before. Um, you know, you got the Pro Bowl next week. You got, um, mm-hmm. you know, the Super Bowl coming up. Like this is this is primetime football time, and so anytime I, I get to talk about football, I get really excited. Um, so yeah, 
so we'll see what happens. You know, uh, like I said before, uh, you know, I had a moment of my feelings about my team, but but now I'm ready to root for for your uh, Rams here. Um, you know, I think uh, it's going to be a good game, but like we were all talking about, I, I think this is going to be a game that goes down to the wire. Um, yeah, I and uh, yeah, and so we'll see. We'll see what happens, but uh, root for your team now. All right, Holly, uh, looking forward to it. Then Holly's going to be uh, what sixty days for the WNFC season to kick off. I think sixty days, right? Pretty April close. 9th. Yeah, I'm getting down uh, there in a couple of weeks here, um, you know, for a camp and then, you know, practice starts. And so it's it's, it's coming up quick because last year uh, due to COVID, uh, the start of the season got pushed up to May. So, and then the season basically ended in like August. So it, it's coming, <laughs> it came up really fast actually. Um, but I think we're we're excited and we're ready to go. Um, and, uh, so I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm going to get ready to pack a, a, a lot of warm clothes when I go down there, cause it's, it's definitely a little colder down there than up here in Seattle, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm excited. All right. So we're going to catch Holly all season long on Vire Network, Vire Sports with the Utah Falcons. And, uh, she'll be chiming in, you know, on her bye weeks and stuff like that, but normally focused on the season when she gets rolling. So we got, what, uh, Holly, we got, what, 60 days until then. Um, when is your cutoff point? Is it going to be, like, two weeks before April or something? Usually around there. And it, it kind of depends, too, on, um, you know, the schedule and stuff because we do a lot of, uh, uh, like, virtual meetings and stuff throughout the week. Uh, but mm-hmm. usually probably about there because, uh, um, as a lot of people may or may not know, I, I commute down. So it requires a lot of travel. <laughs> so usually last year when I was traveling, um, you know, my Mondays were just me, like, trying to, like, crawl to my job because I was so sore. <laughs> and so really now that I work from home, it's me crawling down the stairs to my basement desk, you know, office area that I have set up. And then so Monday's usually shot. Um and then Tuesday is me kind of coming back to normal, but then starting to pack for the next week. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, probably somewhere around there. All right. Well, looking forward to it. So next week we'll uh, talk Super Bowl predictions, plus we'll talk more in-depth Super Bowl in terms of what's happening. Uh, so thank you for coming in. Really appreciate it. Thanks to Lindsay Cash for coming in here and breaking it down as well to next week with the Hall of Famer, Holly Custis, as well. So uh, check it out. Don't forget, subscribe. You can listen to Holly all the time. All right, thank you. All right, Holly, see you. All right, guys, that was a Hall of Famer Holly Custis, WNFC Utah Falcons um, DB there, and she's going to be getting ready for the season. We've got a couple more weeks here, and then she'll be re- prime and ready uh, to get launched for the WNFC season. But until uh, then, every Tuesday here, she'll come in with insights, and we'll, we'll have her here next Tuesday as well to kind of break down the Super Bowl matchups and who do we need to watch for and things like that. So thanks to Lindsay Cash for coming in as well and giving us the lowdown and the breakdown of the conference finals and the Super Bowl. All right, let's dive into uh, the second hour, uh, and we are going to be diving into the uh, backseat coach, a.k.a. Mark Simone, in the house. Mark, what's going on? I'm uh, you know, just preparing all my notes and getting caught up on 
in the international women's football scene. Um, in case you didn't know, I'm sure actually you did know, but I will mention it. Um, tomorrow will be National Women and Girls in Sports Day. Yep. Um, yep. And so uh, I'm just, you know, taking a moment to reflect on, um, you know, a thing that I love to do, which is talk about women's football. So um, I'm glad to be a part of um, advancing women's sports and supporting uh, girls' sports. Uh, and uh, I'm just uh, feeling very happy today. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, tomorrow's a, uh, it's a big day tomorrow. I mean, it's kind of like an annual event, uh, Women's Sports Foundation-driven uh, as well. And so uh, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of our followers on Twitter. So tomorrow, if you're on Twitter, we'll be basically retweeting a lot of our networking supporters uh, just, just for women's sports. We got the Women's Sports Foundation, uh, WS Alliance, um, there's going to be a, just a lot of a lot of the network, you know, uh, places that we network with that are obviously uh, also uh, forwarding for women's sports to get visibility, right? ESPNW, things like that. So you check out our Twitter feed at Grid Beauty tomorrow. Check it out; it's going to be pretty much all over the place. Um, but it's it's uh, one of those uh, special days for us tomorrow. Uh, also, if you're at the hub, bub, you get the lowdown of everything that's happening for tomorrow, right? And so uh, you get right there, WNFC CEO. Uh, Odessa Jenkins will be on a panel as well uh, and talking, obviously, the the uh, uh, National uh, Girls and Women's Sports Day. So it's pretty awesome there. So if you're at the hub, uh, you get the lowdown of everything that's happening there, including what we're going to talk about right now, which is uh, Gridiron West, Mark. Um, what a showing, uh, a rebound showing by the Broncos after getting spanked 38-0 to last week. They rebound and not easily win, not an easily winnable game here because Curtin Saints did put up a fight, 42-28. Uh, uh, and so uh, there, there's a situation where uh, Broncos did not want to lose two in a row, and uh, they, they take care of business as they should have, especially after that, that walk. Yeah, they really needed to have that comeback, you know, that, that bounce back victory um, after, you know, getting, you know, slammed by the Vipers 38 to nothing uh, last week. So uh, Perth came out uh, to face the Curtin Saints, who themselves, are, you know, are desperate for a win um, to, you know, just keep their playoff standing in, in place. Uh, but uh, they tried very hard, did the Saints. They put up 24 points, but they got outpaced by the Broncos, who put up 42 Um and that's a, that's a point total that um, the Broncos are accustomed to. They're not accustomed to getting shut out. So um, it sounds like they're back up on uh, the horse again, uh, pun intended. Um, and um, they, they get a bye next week, and uh, but they'll be playing um, in the final week of the season. And, you know, it's getting really interesting Oscar in, in Gridiron West. Uh, you know, a lot can change in these next few weeks in terms of playoff positioning. Now, I don't know if um, uh, there's anything like home field advantage here, um, what the advantage is, depending on the rating. It's just really kind of strictly um, the the strength of the, the opponent you're going to face. So um, I think we that get down to the final the four, Broncos, you know, the Broncos really have to tighten up because they know it's, uh, they're up against number two, right? They know the Vipers are right there. 
there's no question that they're not going to face the Vipers at some point. Uh, the Vipers have played so well so far, and that's going to be a rematch that we're going to want to see. Probably, It's probably going to be one of those playoff rematches. Um, for Curtin, I, I guess kind of a letdown in a way, but at the same time, I think they should be happy that they're very competitive and they can play with the Broncos. So in that sense, I guess they, they, they should be happy with their, uh, you know, their output. Oh, yeah, I think so. I, I think, you know, compared to um, earlier in the season, they're definitely um, more competitive. On, um, in November, the, the Broncos um, beat the Saints 42-6. to six. So yep. just think of it that way. Uh, you know, the Saints are, have closed that margin by quite, quite a bit. So I, I think they should definitely be happy. Um, I'm sure that they're happy about certain things of their performance. Um, um, scoring points has got to be one of them. Um, of course, it's hard to keep up with the Broncos uh, when they're firing on all cylinders. But I, I think they definitely um, probably have confidence going to the rest of the season. And I got to give credit uh, to the Saints. Uh, they're at minus 38 coming into this game, so they have not given up big amount of you know point differential. They've kept it somewhat close. Four and six. There's a there's they're probably the only team right next to Swan City, which is the Titans did take care of business here. We talked about how they could sneak in as well. So these are the two teams that we have to eye, uh, given the fact that the Jets and the uh, Hills Valkyries are pretty much out of the playoff run here. So it's really going to be interesting here in the next two weeks how the Saints and the Titans fare. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, unless, you know, unless some crazy things happen next week, um, it'll be very, you know, it'll definitely set up in the final week. Uh, that's the showdown between the Curtain Saints and Swan City Titans for that last playoff spot. So, <laughs> Uh, we'll have to see what happens in the next week, but that looks like that looks like a game for the ages right there. Now we have an opportunity next week. Uh, Swan City really has to you know buckle down. It's a big matchup against Wolverines. This is a sort of a playoff preview for them. If the Titans can somehow beat the Wolverines, uh, as Mark is saying here, then we really get into a close matchup here. It's a must-win so much for the Titans. Uh, the Wolverines cannot let down, but uh, Swan City does have this, get an opportunity to go up against uh, West Coast. And um, so at this point, there's an opportunity there. Saints should take care of business against Hills Valkyries next week. The Vipers taking on the Jets should be a knock-in win there. So the, the key game that we got to watch next week is obviously Titans and Wolverines. Yeah, that's right. You know, it, it's kind of a must-win for for all these teams, with the exception of the uh, Jets, who are out of the playoff picture, um, you know, some teams can survive the loss, but you don't really want, at this point in the season, you don't really want to have a letdown, you know. And it's going to be interesting, Mark, because the week after, the, the Titans, if the Swan City can take down the Wolverines, the Titans will face the Saints last week of the season, and that will be probably the deciding factor who makes the playoff, who doesn't. So it's kind of crucial yeah. for that. Yep, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, that's that's – I got it circled on my calendar. So, All right, so Gridiron West, 
big matchup, West Coast, Swan City. That's what we're going to keep an eye on this week. So check it out. Everything will be at the hub once we get the results. Uh, and if there's any live stream, we'll give you a live stream there as well. So big weekend, two weeks left in Grand West. And then we're looking forward to this, this playoff uh, race that's going to happen here, including, uh, I believe, uh, what's the other, the other matchup? In the last week of the season, it is Vipers West Coast, which might not be a factor, but if the Titans or the Saints get a victory here in the last two weeks, could also put West Coast at a, a lower notch. So interesting uh, next two weeks for Gridiron West. Um, Mark, let's dive into uh, LNFA Feminina. A couple games were canceled because of COVID. It was supposed to be a slate of four games, but we only were able to, they were only able to play two games. So Black Demons, 52-0 to zero over Granada Valkyries. You get the uh, highlights there of the game at the hub. And then Valencia takes down uh, Barcelona. Buffalo's 41-14 to 14 easily. So uh, pretty high for them. So two victories there. Uh, Demons, we already know they're very dominant. Yeah, we, we saw last week um, um, in the first week of the season, the Black Demons, you know, they put up 67 points. Um, on the trucks and and shut them out. So we know that they can uh, score points. And again, this week they came out and just um, blasted uh, the Grenada Valkyries, 52 to to nothing. So they've established themselves as the early uh, bully, as you if if you will. Uh, they're the team that definitely the team to beat. Um, you know, in the other matchup, you know, Valencia Firebats bounced back from a first week loss. And they did a good job of putting up some points too, 41 points. That's uh, that's that's not bad considering that um, they had taken a loss in the first week. So um, so things are pretty interesting now. We've got you know a couple of uh, one and one teams, and um, so you know now I'm just now I'm just waiting to see some more games. It's too bad those other two games got canceled. Um, because of uh, COVID, but um, hopefully, uh, you know, there won't be any more setbacks going forward, um, and, and we'll get to see uh, the results of some more of these games. And you'll get the, uh, you also get the live stream of the routing of the Demons against the Granadas, uh, Valkyrie, so check it out there if you want to take a look at it. It uh, wasn't a fun matchup in terms of one-sided matchup, but if you're a Black Demons fan, I guess it's an enjoyable matchup, right? High scoring, it just lights out. So I don't know what to tell you there, but it's courtesy of a uh, fefa.es on on YouTube. So we get the uh, you get to watch it right there at the hub. Uh, the Texas Valley Sports, uh, the team, hot team, red hot team since the beginning of the season, and obviously that's the Coastal Bend Legion on fire and remain undefeated. Mark, so uh, at this point, it is the team to beat. Uh, they take down uh, former champs of last year, Kingsville Empire. 19 to 6. That was the game of the week in Texas Valley Sports. Uh, so, pretty pretty impressive win against uh, a top notch, you know, the champs, the, the Kinsville Empire. Yeah, it sounds like a, also you know a close competitive game. So, um, you always like to to see that, see something that comes down to the wire. And the other matchup is in France, and we hadn't talked about it, but uh, 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 the Challenge Feminine in France kicked off on January 16th uh, in a round-robin type of event, uh, one-day event. The next event will be February 16th, 
So we'll keep you guys updated on that once that event completes. Uh, it is basically a battle of like four teams in, in, in France. So we'll keep tabs on it. It's the 2022 Challenge Feminine in France. Uh, the outcomes are there uh, January 16th. You can check it out right there at the hub, get the results as well. Uh, a couple points here. The Italian final, uh, finally, uh, the Rose Bowl gets done. And no surprise, uh, Mark, you've said all season, uh, Seaman Milano, uh, the team to beat, and uh, it came down to the same thing, 16-0. A tough battle, but uh, obviously more firepower by Milano. Uh, yeah, they they came out. Uh, they scored uh, two touchdowns in the first half and then just held off the underdogs for the rest of the game. Um, um, I, I think we saw this coming coming in. Although the, the underdogs had gotten that upset win over um, Sirens uh, the week before the championship game, um, you know, the Sirens had just scored so many points this season. Um, it was pretty clear that the underdogs were kind of did not have enough firepower um, to take that championship game. The Sirens obviously have uh, Nafika Del Roto and uh, the big, uh, the nice, uh, nice firepower uh, squad there. So shout out to Nafika Del Roto and uh, all her uh, teammates out there. Uh, great, great victory for them. You get the highlights right there at the hub of the event of the Rose Bowl 2022 event that completes the uh, Italian season for the CIFF. All right. Um, the uh, notice that you have to give out, uh, just if you guys weren't aware, February 5th, Dr. Jen Walter, uh, Gridiron Girls Camp, in conjunction with Joy Taylor Foundation, uh, will be at in Los Angeles February 5th. So check it out. You can register uh, right there. There's a link at the joytaylorfoundation.com. So check it out. If you're in L.A., you want to get the girls and some of your girls involved if you have daughters, uh, women as well. Everybody's welcome. Free camp. Just get registered out there. They're going to be there. Uh, Dr. Jen Walker and Great Iron Girls Camp. So March does a, she does a great job nationwide now. So now she's par- she's uh, hooking up with a lot of these influencers, and so uh, hopefully uh, that's getting to Jen Walker uh, attraction and more of uh, the branding knowledge. And in the future, we'll get more women and girls to participate in those camps even more. Well, absolutely. I mean, her camps uh, she's got it down to a science now. Um, uh, she, and, you know, she's personally involved in every camp and, um, uh, it's a, it's a great, it's a great event, uh, especially for younger kids. Um, so I, I encourage, I encourage people to show up, you know, uh, they're going to meet some of the, you know, local women football players in their area. So that happens mm-hmm. at every camp, every, every camp she does across the country. Um, there's, you know, she gets local help from uh, the players in the area. So that, that's another really great thing about it. Uh, it's very community-oriented, and you get to learn from people who, you know, are going to be around, you know, uh, and you become a part of that the, the you know, community. The good thing is that, um, to your point right there, the good thing is we get, uh, they get to experience, right, uh, football at a fun, in a fight environment, but also they get to experience uh, players that are physically playing in the women's tackle leagues nationwide, which is a WFA or WNFC. And so they get coaching, they get coaching from some of those players as well with the local teams that she's obviously in the, whatever location she's at, what city she's in. So uh, shout out to all the, uh, you know, the players that volunteer 
to Jen's camp and also are inspiring and motivating the next generation of women's football players. Yes, do it. All right. Uh, Mark, I think that's it for the news. The other stuff that I had on here was uh, uh, Jen, before Tom Brady retired, just let's be clear, Jennifer King announced her retirement from women's tackle football. So just let's just be up at the, on the facts here. Before Tom Brady was trying to make a decision, Jen King made a decision before Tom Brady. <laughs> was she more decisive? She, she didn't just uh, She's more decisive for a few days. <laughs> well, she didn't beat uh, about. She didn't read. She didn't beat around the bush, Mark. She she decided well, I'm done. Let me just give me my right. post, right? Yeah. <laughs> she she had everything laid out, you know, in that photograph. You know, yeah. very thoughtful. All the four teams that she played for. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I responded to I, I think her twi- tweet. I can't remember if I was on Facebook or Twitter at the time when I saw it. I, I think I was on Twitter, but um, I just tweeted that. You know, I, I had hoped there was a point where it looked like she was going to, um, you know, she was playing in New York and um, uh, Mulligan, the quarterback, was retiring. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, so I'd really like to see Jennifer King play for the Sharks, like to see what that's going to look like. But then she uh, um, she she got another position. Um, she went and to Carolina. From New York. That's right. Um, I, I don't know if it was down to Carolina or someplace else at that point. Uh, it escapes me. But that never happened, right? But what did happen was she pursued better opportunities for herself that led her on this path to where she is today. So, um, you know, I told her that I had always hoped to, to see her play for the Sharks, but that she got something better than that um, uh, in terms of um, advancing her career as a coach. And, um that I congratulated her on, on her great career. And, um, and yeah, so that, that was a, a pretty big news um, yeah. uh, in my world, you know, Tom Brady, a big news in, in women's tackle football, but um, retiring, who cares, Mark? <laughs> King retiring. That was it. That was, that's what it, that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, she, she goes all over the field. She played so many different positions. Oh yeah. Um, uh, she she just she just balled out and um, she took her talents around a little bit and uh, I think she made every team that she played on better so um, you know that's that's just testimony to well, the kind of player she was and and I know that she brings that um, that attitude to um, you know every job that she she's had and she will to every coaching opportunity that she gets. Yeah, no, great career. She's had it um, from WFA, IWFL to obviously WNFC last year with the Washington Prodigy. Um, you know, nothing, nothing but great things. She's always she's always balled out. Um, a lot of respect from a lot of players in the women's football community, right? For on-field contributions as well as her toughness and everything else. So, uh, I think obviously deserving of where she's at now because she's worked her butt off to do it. And at the same time, it was just you know it's nice to see that. She's moving on now. We will never get to see her on the on the women's tackle football field. But, you know, aging, as they say, gets you to another level. And she's coaching. And we're looking forward to her moving in the ranks of coaching, right, from where she's at now to maybe a coordinator or even a head coach. 
we, ne- we will never know in the future, but uh, she's more than more than capable of other things and um, to, to happen in the NFL for her. So shout out to Jennifer King for a great career in women's tackle football. All right, let's bring in the salty one here, Mackenzie Brooks. Hey, Mackenzie, we're just talking about Jen King retiring before Tom Brady made his hesitant retirement today. Oh, J5. Ah. Oh, I love J5. I learned so much just from playing against her, playing with her on all-star teams, watching her on Team USA. Like, she's had a great career. And to be honest, and, and I think it's, it's kind of been overshadowed, um, you know, just because of her her current job situation or career situation, rather. People don't realize that, you know, the the, the female coaches, as far as the women's game is concerned, you know, the, the coaches that are – the women's coaches that are in the NFL at the college level have some kind of experience, and it's meaningful experience. And that's what I love most about, about Coach King is that she has the experience and she doesn't try to do too much with it. She literally uses her experience to make her coaching style better. And I just want to say, J5, congrats, girl. You're still one of the GOATs. I love you. Stay out here and be easy. And she was at the East-West Shrine game as well. So just uh, make a note of there. If you're at the Hub, you know that she was out there coaching it up at the East-West Shrine game as well. All right, um, Mackenzie, let's let's dive into this D3 schedule with the Oracle of Information, which is Mark Simone here. Let's dive it in here. Uh, Mark, let's let's get your take on here. So D3, we're not going to go through every schedule. So disclaimer, quote, unquote, right here. We're not going to go to every schedule. There's just too many D3 teams to kind of go walk through it. Uh, but it, it's, what is it, 30 teams, Mark, if I'm correct? Six, seven, 29? Yeah, something like 30 or 31 teams, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, just a lot of teams. Uh, majority of the teams are on the East Coast from what I gathered my, my schedule from. Majority of them are on the East Coast. A lot more teams on the East Coast, basically, east of, east of the Mississippi. Um, I went. I was trying to break it down. We were going back and forth, direct messaging each, each other. And um, so I went to the Massey ratings, 2021 Massey ratings. So I broke down the top 10 teams in the WFA. And one of the, well, obviously the top team in the, in the WFA Division Three was Derby City, no longer. So would that make Arizona, Mark, the favorite in D3 for 2022? Um. Yeah, I, I would I would say that they were an early favorite, um, you know, with uh, Derby City um, going up to Division Two, um, you know, I think Arizona definitely has a shot. I, you know, I, I will say this: um, you said you felt like most of the teams are on the on the you know east of the Mississippi, but it, it's actually pretty balanced. And as far as Division th- uh, Three goes. I kind of feel like the West is the uh, is kind of where all the action is, especially now um, with teams coming back from you know that took a break last year from COVID and new teams like the Regulators. I think things are getting interesting um, there in the Southwest and, and the Midwest as well. So um, I, I definitely would say that Arizona is an early favorite for the title. But they're going to have competition uh, in their own um, in their own conference. I think. I, I, I think the um, the American Conference is is the stronger of the two. Well, Mackenzie, 
Arizona would I, I would say front runners because they got beat by Derby right in in Canton. So if you're the outcast right now, you're one step from a championship. So if you're the coaching staff there and the players, I mean, you you got to be somewhat happy that you're listening to us right now and that we're putting you up front and center nationwide as a team to beat in Division Three. You know, I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, realistically and, and logistically speaking, Arizona would be that that next that next team in line for you know for that number one contender seating um, since Derby City has moved up to D two. Um, with that being said, I think I have to also agree with uh, uh, Mark Simone, my guy. I have to agree with him because you also don't know what you're going to get with those teams that are coming back, you know, back off of COVID season. Um, and that's, that's where the leeriness starts to set in a little bit because you don't, you, you, I mean, you know about Derby city, obviously, you know, they took, they took the win over Canton and moved up, you know, moved up a division that, and it's basically just a chain effect. You know, one team wins, wins, wins the whole thing at, at D3, then moving up to D2. So whoever that second, third place team, team is, you know, essentially they move up the chain one from, from last season or the season before. Um, unfortunately, it just it, you know, it happens just it happens to be Arizona. It's not really unfortunate. It's just all those other teams that were giving the good competition and, you know, giving the competitive edge and everything like that are still falling behind because Arizona was still in that second place spot. I agree with you. I think uh, – but if you're Arizona right now, the coaching staff, the players – uh, you got a taste of what championship competition was, especially up against Derby in the playoffs. You got Iowa as well in the playoffs. So uh, if you're Arizona, this is it. The, you know you, your goal is obviously to return to Canton and win it. So uh, Mark, on the other side, uh, the knockout. Nobody thought they could get here. We did mock them off a little bit for their schedule, right? They wasn't as strong as they should be. They didn't finish against obviously Derby. Um, but do you think New York at this point? Maybe um, a little bit, you know, kind of hesitant, or are they kind of like already got a taste of what it takes to get there? But looking at their schedule, we have no idea what Harrisburg's going to look like. Maine, we know what they're all about. Utica, uh, North Connecticut, Maine. So I'm I'm in the same boat as last year. Can is this going to be enough challenging schedule where if even if the knockout make it again, are they going to be able to knock off somebody that has maybe a more competitive schedule? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I mean, you're basically, it's like you're reading my notes a little bit. Um, like, I, I'm not very, uh, you know, impressed with the strength of this schedule. It's definitely one of the weaker ones. Uh, they're all D3 teams. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and one of them is the developmental team. And, you know, I understand geographically, you know, teams have to have games. Uh, I feel like they should have sought out copper, uh, some tougher competition, though, in Division Two, like with the New York Wolves. Um, I, I, I kind of feel like with this schedule, they will have difficulty getting in the playoffs. I can, I can see them, you know, uh, possibly going undefeated in the regular season and, you know, just like last year having like kind of a, a big letdown in, in the playoffs and getting like handily defeated by, you know, another team that is, is just a lot sharper. Now that said with uh, Derby city, kind of out, out of the picture, you know, who knows? Um, you know, maybe they'll be able to get um, a little bit farther in the, uh, down into the playoffs than they did last year. But, um, you know, I, I don't really see it in this schedule. 
And, and let's be honest, um, last year, the knockout, they benefited, you know, by not having to face Maine or Connecticut, both of whom who took um, the year off because of COVID. So That's what I meant. I mean, they didn't That's even... the reason I'm bringing it up, because this looks yeah. like it's yeah. going to be not the same as last year, because it's, I mean, Maine's always played really good, even in season, competitive, and yep. Connecticut, we knew two years ago, they were really tough to beat, too. So, uh, yeah, if yeah. you're in New York, uh, you really got to – I mean, this is uh, going to be a challenging schedule for them. And whether they make it to back, that's my point that I'm trying to make here. Um, uh, Mackenzie, if you're Kern County, uh, you weren't even on the map uh, last year in terms of that, but you were right there trending upwards. So if you're in Kern County, uh, your schedule is very competitive. I mean, uh, you got a couple D3 squads, but uh, you, you get to face – the number the number one you know runner up Arizona you get Nevada D one Cal Cali Ward D one so if you're like if if you're Kern County if you can treat this as a challenging year like Nevada did against Cali War if you can treat Cali War and Nevada as a tough competitive uh, schedule you could eventually get this is the year for you to make the playoffs you know and you pretty much just hit it right there on the nose you know when you're when you're Kern County. You you weren't on the map like you were on the map, but nobody really knew. And that that's what we like to call sleeper teams, Oscar. You know that that's that's mm-hmm. what they are. But they're they're good enough to not you know to not be considered a sleeper team. However, you know with the level of competition that they have on their schedule with the you know the Nevada Storm and the Cali War, what I when I I saw it was almost back to back. Maybe there's a week a week or two in between the two games. Um, but if you're Kern County, you're you're treating the D3 competition, just like you're treating the D1 competition. You're, you're, you're treating it, you're going into it and preparing all, preparing all games the same way. You know, you're preparing to get to, to win. And, you know, if, if they can do that and stay focused, there's absolutely zero reason why they don't make the playoffs. And there's absolutely zero reason why they don't, you know, they don't shock and, and beat Nevada and they don't shock and beat the Cali War. But with, with them, you know, kind of being that sleeper team, as far as D3 is concerned, right, the second, that that's pretty much what you have to focus on. And I, I think if they're if they can stay competitive, they got their schedule, they beat their own D3 competition, um, and then they get to, you know, be competitive with the, the D1 teams, I think they're really going to make an impact this coming season. Uh, Mark, Music City, um, the same, same kind of concept here. The only difference is, I don't think they face anybody that's going to be any above their D3 competition. So that could also be a factor. Yeah, you know, similarly to the New York knockout, um, you know, this schedule is not um, particularly challenging. Um, you know, they're not stepping up. You know, why not play Derby City again? I mean, that's, they've been your rival. You've been trying to get past them for, like, the last three years. You know, so they're in D2 now. I understand that they're kind of out of the way for you. But you know what? Why not keep playing them so that, you know, you can toughen up? Now, I, I look at the other, compo- you know, opponents on here. You you, you got the, the Vanguards, Carolina Phoenix twice, um, you know, the Sizzle, which went from a Division three to a developmental team. Um, uh, the East Tennessee Valkyrie, we don't know anything about them, you know, it's kind of a boring schedule. I'll be honest with you. There's like, there's very little excitement in here. You know, I look for a, a schedule with tough games and, 
Um, and, and this just isn't it. You know, I, I'm kind of disappointed uh, by this week's schedule for a team that basically has an open door to the playoffs now that uh, Derby City is in Division Two. Um, you know, it, it, but there, there's no, there really isn't a lot of other strong competition in D3, um, you know, in the, in the national conference. So maybe they can get away with having this kind of weaker schedule uh, if they're not going to be challenged the down the line. They're going to run into is uh, the Massey factor to your point, right? That, that, that some point mm-hmm. Massey is going to knock you down to the point where if you're going to beat all these teams that you're on the schedule, you're going to have to really route them for Massey to give you some sort of an uplift. Otherwise, they're not going to, it's not, you're not going to be considered versus uh, a current county that's going to face a D1, D2, right, and a top D3, um, you know, squad. Um, Mackenzie, uh, Iowa, right here, uh, I mean, they, they were so good yet, uh, last year versus the light out that happened in Arizona. That game could have flipped, and they could have gone to Canton, right? So the, the opportunities there where this uh, Phoenix team is really going to probably step their game up, you know, quote-unquote, because they get Minnesota week one, they get you, Nebraska week two, they get Nebraska right before the end of the season, they, they get to face a Houston power team that was almost up there as well in D3, Tulsa. So uh, overall, uh, Iowa's been very – very good in terms of you know setting up the schedule, but right off the right off the blocks, they're taking on Minnesota, which is a good sign. If they can, if somehow they can be competitive there, then then the rest of the schedule looks good. But I'm I'm putting Iowa right there with Arizona at, at one and two right now on my list. I mean, you have to put Iowa there. Iowa has been building their team since they started in 2019, um, and I would know because I played on that in, on our your season. So I I, I know what kind of players they have. I know what kind of talent they have. So to, to not put them in that top one, two spot would be disrespectful. Um, and that's, you know, that, that it is what it is. Um, they could have gone to Canton last year. I just think they had a, you know, a couple too many injuries, you know, injuries, yep. in, in injuries at the, yep. you know, at the bottom of the season, not even at the top. Um, sure. At the bottom, you know, they, they lost, they lost Shannon Christensen, um, mm-hmm. I think like second to last game of the season with a torn ACL. Um, and she's one of their top receivers. Um, and I know, I know uh, Jennifer Trevilian also, I believe had an injury of some kind. Like they, like lots of their power, lots of their power and speed was slowly dwindling by the end of the season, which sucks because they could have done damage. And to be honest, they're like, nobody is safe from Iowa. Not even my Valkyries. I'm not even going to lie. Like, my Valkyries aren't safe. Nobody is safe from Iowa, but what Iowa has to do is they have to stay consistent. They, Iowa has to do what they've always done, which is grind it out. Iowa, any Iowa team, anybody that knows women's football knows that Iowa teams in general are, are highly known for grinding out the ball and grinding out the game. That's what makes the, some, the teams uh, really country over if you – if you've played an Iowa team before, that's what makes Iowa so hard to beat for the most part as far as spirits and even score for the most part. is Iowa is like that and that nagging, annoying younger sibling. Like, I'm right here. Like, you're not getting rid of me that easily type thing. And that, that's their, but their, but Iowa's mentality now is that 
we're no longer that little brother or little sister. We've proved our point, and we're here to stay. So either, you know, strap up and let's ball, or they're going to run right through you. I feel like, uh, Mark, I feel like Iowa is the Arkansas Wildcats of a couple years ago. I really think this is the year that they, you know, like to, to Max's point, if they're healthy, they get ready, uh, this would be the challenging. This is the year that they would make the, you know, the top seed right there. Their schedule is really tough. They get a D1, D2. They, Houston, obviously, somewhat decent up there in the Massey ratings as well in the top ten. Tulsa, uh, not so much. But overall, I think it's a favorable schedule. Uh, in terms of a Massey a bump, and they should be in that top five uh, at the end of the year if everything goes well. I, I agree. I, I like the schedule a lot. Um, it's definitely one of the toughest schedules on paper because, you know, they, they face um, the Vixen and they face um, the Valkyries a couple of times, and, and they're in D2. And so they only have three Division three games that they can they can handle them. You know, I, I, I think their toughest, they, you know, one tough game is going to be the Houston Power. Um, Houston was uh, top eight last year in both scoring and defense. So they're kind of my sleeper pick this year. They, they could be pretty tough on teams. But um, I, I think the, the, uh, the Phoenix can um, take care of those three D3 games. And by playing uh, D1 and D2 competition as well, that will give them a, a bump in the ratings. And, um, you know, I, I definitely think their schedule positions them very well for the playoffs, um, whoever they're, they're going to face. As Max said, they're, they're going to be a threat. Uh, not only can they grind it out, but they can actually throw the ball too. So if you're in D3 and, and you can move the ball by throwing it, uh, you know, that, that's a pretty big advantage. Um, you know, the only thing is other teams there – uh, in their conference can can throw the ball too. So, um, but I expect them to be in the thick of it come playoff time. And Mac, let's talk about power here. Uh, the power didn't sway. Their schedule is very very solid, and they didn't, they're not running away from nobody. They get OKC week one, golf, uh, the golf uh, monarchy. They get Zydeco, who's always pretty good too, in D three. Iowa. They get Austin. Uh, hard nose, and then at the end they get Arlington. So if you're, you know, if you if you want to give anybody a, a shout out right now, you know, shout out to Houston Power for a competitive schedule. And like to Mark's point, they were in that top ten uh, last year. So you know, they they could be competitive this year defensively. They uh, they stayed what they were at uh, if they pick up their offense here. But their schedule is, uh, I mean, it's pretty pretty clear cut. They're going to be comp- They're going to face competitive competition all season. I mean, you pretty much read my notepad, Oscar. <laughs> like, literally, I'm sitting here looking at my notepad, and you pretty much said what I was going to state verbatim. The only other thing I would add to that is in terms of the overall D3 structure is I'm going to put – I'm going to put – it's going to be Iowa 1, Arizona 2, Power 3. And and it's all close. It's all close margin, um, you know. Kind of just like we were saying with Iowa and, and Arizona, same thing applies with Houston. Houston has a very good schedule. Iowa has a very good schedule. Um, Arizona, all all three of those teams have very good schedules. It's just it's really at this point for those three, it's who's going to be the, who's going to stay consistent the longest. Whoever stays consistent the longest is probably going to have that. I'm not going to call it an automatic, but they're going to have an easier 
slight to the playoff window for next season. Um, and I think Houston is, is obviously in those talks. Like I said, it's, it's just going to be about consistency, which one of those teams is going to stay consistent the longest. Now, Mark, OKC uh, into the WFA last year, previously obviously the dominant team in their own league. They come into WFA, they're pretty impressive. So they get Houston right off the block. So we're going to, get, we're going to see a really good D3 class week one. Then uh, they get a bye week, and they take on McKenzie here, uh, the Nebraska Valkyries. Then they get a bye, and then they got to go to Rocky Mountain. They take on the Mustangs, uh, Cruces, and Tulsa. So not as competitive as Houston, but based on their output and experience that they've had in the last four years, I would have to say this is a run-the-table mentality if they wanted to, uh, but competition in D2 would probably prevent that. Other than that, I mean, uh, Nebraska and and Dallas are the only ones that are really – a higher level, everything else is D3 and winnable. So competitive uh, against Nebraska and competitive against Dallas uh, might be their two losses of the year, but the rest of it is right there, shoo-in for the playoffs. So they could be the sleeper. My sleepers would be them. Nice. I I think it's a good pick for a sleeper. Um, I totally agree with you. I feel like this um, schedule is – um, not easy by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but it, it is manageable. Um, you know, they should be able to handle Rocky Mountain. Uh, I think they did pretty um, handily last year. Um, Tulsa and uh, Las Cruces, who is a new team. We don't really know much about about them, what they're going to look like. But, um, you know, those are games that, that could um, could be competitive, for a little while, but, you know, I think it, given what Oklahoma City has shown us last year, um, they should win those games against those teams. Um, As I said, you know, Houston Power is kind of my sleeper. That might be a really um, great matchup to start off this season. I do, you know, I do think that, you know, they have outside shots to uh, beat uh, the Dallas Mustangs and um, uh, the Valkyries as well. Although, you know, I, I will give the edge to uh, the D2 and the D1 teams. But, you know, the, the force, they're not pushovers. No, 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 for sure they're not. Um, Mac, we'll finish up. Capital City, rising late in the season, uh, is one of the rating, uh, one of the top teams in terms of the mass for D3. And so they get right off the blocks, they get D3 champion. So this is a test for them week one against, uh, you know, the, the uh, Derby uh, Dynamite, and then right after that, they're going to get Detroit, uh, and they finish up their schedule, of course, with uh, their D3 schedule, but they get Grand Rapids back-to-back to, uh, back to in the last two weeks as well, with Grand Rapids much improved in terms of the tidal waves. So um, somewhat of, uh, I wouldn't say uh, a bad schedule. Uh, they, it is a competitive schedule within the first three weeks, and then they get their rivals, Grand Rapids. So uh, Capital City, obviously, one of those teams that wants to go to Canton, too, and if they're improving there, the two competitive games, they could win out their last four. So it could be four and two, and they, it could catapult them into the top top five and maybe a, uh, a competitive, uh, you know, effort to try to get to Canton. Oh, Capital City is also another – I hate to sound they cliche, gotta be but – If they want to get to Canton, pun intended. Yeah, Exactly. Literally, that that I mean, you hit it right there on the nose, you know. And, and they've always, for the most part, um, as far as how they play the game, they're they are a lot like 
Iowa, you know, Iowa, Minnesota, um, Arizona, that kind of shtick team that, you know, powerful, can move the ball, can throw the ball. They just they haven't been able to be consistent, even though they are still kind of new. They haven't been able to be consistent again. It's gonna be it's, this season seems to be like it's gonna be a game of consistency. Consistencies. Who's gonna stay consistent the longest, or um, who's gonna be repetitively consistent? And I think if they can do that, they can. They also can can get the opportunity to go to Canton. It's just there's a lot of teams, especially in this D three this D three division, that are go that are either going to shock the division and league, and you know. Move, move forward into those playoff spots, or they're going to shock the division and league and take those steps back. Yeah, so we're kind of undecided at this point. Yeah, yeah. D three is just. Uh, I, I was. We'll make a disclaimer here. We normally do not follow D three until it is playoff time, and the reason for that is because we don't have the time and energy to cover everything in D three. So we will cover D three week to week two. In terms, of, in terms of a surprising matchup, an upset matchup, or something critical in that sense. But we're obviously going to focus on WFA Pro and WFA D2 in terms of the WFA in general. But uh, overall, once the playoff comes, we are dialed in, right, Mark? D3 playoffs, we are dialed in till the road to Canton. Yes, and it will be very exciting for um, for everyone, for no matter what, uh, you know, tier they're cheering for uh come playoff time we're covering it yeah it's going to be great to see that um mac uh, i i think that's it that does it um if you guys are listening and you guys didn't feel like we covered a, some of the d3 that or a team that you're on that we feel you feel like we're uh disrespecting you in some way um show it on the field get yourself into the playoffs and you'll get some love simple as that right mac it's literally simple as that. If you know, if there's something we didn't cover, or you want us to cover more, or just want to tell us to stop talking, <laughs> you got to get to the hub first of all. Let's let's just go there. Like <laughs> you, you got to go to the hub to do that, and then you have to add us on social media to even get in contact with us. So I mean, really, you just need to get to the hub. All your information, stories, YouTube links. So, you know, guest celebrities on the link are on the hub. But, if, again, if you're not going there, you can't tell us. To be quiet, you can't say, hey, Salty, when I'm sick of your mouth and I'll reply with too damn bad. That's what I do, you know. You're not you're not going to be able to hear the backseat coach. You're not going to be able to hear Oscar and Holly and, and Mark Simone and Nate Ward. You're not going to be able to hear the Salty one because you're not going to the freaking hub. you got to go there first before you can harass us. Go to the hub, Bob. That's uh, Mark's line. We're using that now. Go to the hub, bub. Get down to the hub. All right, uh, guys, great show. Thanks for Lindsey Casty coming in here. Thanks for the Hall of Famer, Holly Custis, breaking it down, the, the National Conference Championships, the Super Bowl predictions. Uh, we will have our own Super Bowl predictions next Tuesday uh, as we get closer to the game. But uh, other than that, great show today, guys. Looking forward to next week. Uh, check it out. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, iHeart, and Spotify so you can listen to Mac anytime you feel like it. That's how it boils down to it. So check it out, iHeart, Apple, and Spotify. All right, guys, check it out next week, 4-11. Looking forward to Super Bowl 56. Have a great night, everybody. Is the fastest growing daily fantasy sports site in America. You get fun, easy-to-play contests with cash prizes featuring your favorite players. 
Monkey Knife Fight, daily fantasy sports for the rest of us. Sign up now and get an instant match on your first deposit up to $50.